Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This podcast contains adult themes and graphic descriptions of violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You have reached the City of Detroit 911 Emergency Center. All operators are handling emergency calls. Twenty years after Tamara Green was killed, her murder remains unsolved. And getting any update on the current status of the case is nearly impossible. Here's how it went for me. I filled out the media request form for the Detroit police. Once, twice, three times, no response. I talked to the public information officer. The one local media people told me was the best. Friendly, helpful, he was. He told me he was leaving the position and very kindly passed me on to somebody else. I called and emailed several more times asking for any information on the current status of the case. Questions like, is there an investigator assigned to it? Have there been any interviews in the last few years? Were any tests ever conducted on evidence? I finally got a one-sentence email. I was excited to see it. Until I opened it. And it said only... The case is inactive. I'm Christy Strasser, and this is Who Killed Strawberry? Episode 4, Where Murder Cases Go to Die. I remember asking about the case, and I was interested in the case, but I didn't really get anything as I was briefed on it. And so I still, to this day, don't know what was missing. And there were a lot of cases like that. That wasn't the only one, although that was a high-profile case. Just wasn't a sense of urgency. And it was very much cultural. James Craig is Detroit's former police chief. I reached out to him after facing what felt like a wall of silence from the current police department. Craig has been retired since 2021. When he came in, As an outsider, many remembered none too happily 
what had happened the last time an outsider came in, when Kwame Kilpatrick hired Jerry Oliver. There wasn't a lot of stability in the department. I know Kwame brought in an outsider. Ironically, uh, the outside chief he brought in, it was his watch when the murder took place. So on paper, he seemed like a very capable leader to transition the police department in another direction. And, of course, that didn't work out so well. To be clear, Craig was not in the department when Strawberry was killed. He was in Los Angeles then, having climbed his way up the ladder of police leadership for three decades. He had a reputation as a clean-up guy. Experts will tell you that's something Detroit police desperately needed when Craig was named as the new chief in 2013. This is a detail that Detroit News crime reporter George Hunter is very familiar with. There were no rules. One thing to indicate, it was well known that homicide was on the fifth floor and that's where they interrogated people. People were jumping out of the window. It was so bad. It was a thing. I mean, there were newspaper clips about this. One of whom was a guy named Daryl Siggers. He was the wrongfully convicted guy. He did 34 years in prison and found out he didn't do the murder, but they pinned it on him, and they were doing that kind of stuff back then. It was just the Wild West. Kwame Kilpatrick had talked about police shortcomings during his re-election bid in 2005. He said he was an operations guy, ready to fix the broken system. Police fire, streets, trash, snow, grass, lights, transportation. All of those were abysmal failures when I walked in office. The police department was under a federal consent decree. Cocaine was walking out the door of the property room. Our fire department, the equipment was all over 22 years old. You know he didn't know how to shovel snow. You know that the grass in all of our parks was waist high. As a matter of fact, we had seven girls raped in parks where the grass was too high. You know that we had more potholes in the city of Detroit than any other city in America. George Hunter, the reporter, remembers those days well. My sister was a police officer. They brought her into the property room back in the early 1990s after they got caught. They were for years were switching uh, cocaine for baking soda. And my sister had the reputation of being a good, honest cop, I guess. So they brought her down to run the property room. And I guess she's retired now, so she can't get in trouble for this. She gave me a tour of that property room, bringing it back to homicide. And the evidence was just thrown everywhere. This is when she first took over. She would look at this. There was evidence everywhere. She said that the homicide detectives would drop off evidence. And she'd say, hey, you got to sign. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get it later. I'm busy. She's like, no, you got to sign now or it'll possibly mess up the chain of evidence, chain of custody. Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Nobody's going to look. And it was that kind of stuff. You know what happens in a situation like that where you have rampant incompetence and then, you know, a lot of bureaucratic things like that? where you get gray area. Crooked people can take advantage of that gray area. And as a reporter, you'll see things that are messed up left and right, and you don't know where the incompetence or ineptitude or whatever starts and the crookedness begins. You never know. There's a gray area there, and folks have been taking advantage of that in you know, Detroit and other towns for, for decades. To help paint the picture, note that James Cred was brought in to restore confidence in the department after Five police chiefs came and went in Detroit in the space of five years. Two of those chiefs 
were ousted for having affairs with the same woman under their command. I get a call from the state of Michigan. Detroit was poised to go under bankruptcy. Did go through bankruptcy. They hired an emergency manager. And as part of that effort, all elected officials in the city, police commission, city council, and the mayor were stripped of power and oversight. Emergency manager was in charge of the city of Detroit. Part of that plan, as you kind of mentioned, was to come in and have someone who was not part of the Detroit Police Department. And when I say not part, not in recent past, because clearly coming in when I came in after being gone for roughly 34 years, I was really an outsider. Uh, Even though I was born in Detroit, started in the Detroit Police Department, I was not connected to the police department in any way, which was attractive to the state. Part of the bankruptcy, one of the things that came out was the fact that the city had been home to corruption, both in the police department, in the city. Of course, the most notable was certainly indictment of a former mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick. And so the state felt the necessity to bring in a chief that was appointed by the emergency manager, only reported to the emergency manager. What Craig says about reporting to the emergency manager instead of the mayor, that's important. The change wasn't accidental. It happened after former Chief Jerry Oliver, Kwame Kilpatrick's first appointee, fired Gary Brown at Kwame's behest. That was after Brown had started investigating Kwame's executive protection unit. Cops firing cops for the mayor obviously didn't sit well with the rank and file. The morale of the police department was at the very bottom. Pay was so low. They weren't doing a very good job at hiring. Clearly, there were notable stats that were embarrassing to the police department. One was widely reported nationally that in some instances took the Detroit Police Department one hour to respond to emergency calls for service. And this is a major city and a city that certainly had struggled historically with violence. The homicide clearance rate, another statistic that was embarrassing to the city and the department, was at 11%, well below the national average, that 11% of the homicides in the Detroit Police Department were solved. And so dealing with morale, dealing with those type of statistics, dealing with a community that candidly had lost total confidence in this police department for a variety of reasons. Uh, Again, Detroit PD historically had some challenges in fostering trust in the community for a variety of reasons. When Craig came in, the Tamara Green homicide was the most notorious cold case in recent history. Her alleged ties to a never-proven party at the Manoogian mayoral mansion and the whistleblower lawsuits that followed afterward made her name well known. So much so that Craig heard about it when he was in L.A. Well, I've heard snippets, urban legends. I've heard so much. I mean, even from Los Angeles, I heard about that case. Really? I mean, I was not intimate with the case, but I, I tried to because I had such a 
a love for the city and, and the police department, a police department I started in, certainly I paid attention to events impacting the police department. But Green's murder wasn't the only cold case, not even close. So, so many cases of that era and before, they were also unsolved. The vast majority of recent homicides in Detroit were, in fact, cold. In 2004, the Detroit News reported there were more than 19,000 unsolved murder cases on file dating back to 1917. I always believe that when it comes to homicide solvability, a lot of it has to do with people who talk to the police. If you have good relationships in communities and neighborhoods, people are more apt to share with you what they know, even if they do it in an anonymous way. And certainly the culture was such that even when I got appointed in 2013, that there was very little in the way of that relationship. So I knew as a priority, at least one of many priorities, was to establish a trusting relationship with the community, but also restore the morale of the men and women who served. Bertha Powell, Tamara's grandmother, gave an interview in 2008 where she said the family hadn't heard from the police in, quote, years. Would it surprise you to know that no one had talked to the Tamar Green family? I don't know, but if I'm relying on the culture I saw coming in the door, it would not have surprised me if someone told me, well, you know, Chief, we never did talk to the family, or it took us six months to talk to the family. Mm-hmm. And would it have surprised you, too, to realize that it hadn't really been fully investigated? I mean, using what you would think of as good policing technique. Well, and I I hate to disparage what was or wasn't done in a case that I'm not intimately familiar with. I mean, if you or someone else told me that it wasn't fully investigated, I wish I could say I, I would be shocked. I don't know if it's because the relationship in the community was so poor that they didn't have the ability to go out and speak to not just family members, but associates of Tamara Green. I don't even know if that took place. And if it didn't, the million dollar question is why not? Clearly, a lot of times when you talk about homicide cases, you know, sometimes an investigator can get lots of clues from acquaintances, or family members on who might have had an issue with the victim. Why you wouldn't do it is beyond me. Now, the other part of it is because this was such a high-profile case, certainly many allegations of who may have been involved or connected. Was this purposeful, that certain things were not done? I don't have to answer that question. To understand what Craig walked into 10 years after Tamara Green's death, there are a few things you need to know. Most importantly, Detroit police were operating under a consent decree. In July 2003, three months after Tamara's death, the city had agreed to let the federal government run the police department. That happened after local media uncovered excessive use of deadly force, illegal arrests of possible witnesses, and improper treatment of prisoners. 
Plus, there was that homicide clearance rate, 11%, low enough to make national headlines. Another black eye that Detroit did not need. Compounding a lack of faith in the department, from 1995 to 2000, 40 people had died at the hands of officers. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The culture and actions, some would say inaction, at the DPD led to oversight that lasted for 13 years, longer than any other consent decree in U.S. history. Craig returned to Detroit at the tail end of the decree. He inherited a struggling department. Starting salaries for officers had fallen to $30,000 a year. Detroit was ranked the most dangerous major city in the country for the fifth year in a row. Crime response was so abysmal that a local TV station ran a story about a woman who took a bubble bath read to her grandkids, and then hit a drive through twice before police arrived to handle her call about a house break-in. I called them an hour ago and they have still not gotten here. One and a half hours and still no cops. It's two hours later and still no cops. Three hours and still no police. Meanwhile, the cops arrive four hours later. It was more management-level folks not following the rules. Police officers will follow strong, equitable leadership, someone based on integrity who is fair. Like a lot of departments, when there's a pattern in practice, you know, police officers have to perform certain functions in order for the department to become compliant. One would have to ask, why weren't they compliant? They weren't compliant because there was no leadership oversight. But the other thing that was going on in Detroit as I transitioned in that I found very strange, carjackings. The carjackings occurred so frequently, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a sense of urgency. I just didn't feel there was an outcry over such a violent crime. Imagine being at an intersection or imagine going to a liquor store or gas station and an armed assailant comes up, robs you, and takes your car. That doesn't happen with the level of frequency that it happened in Detroit. It was just shocking to me that this wasn't something that was a focus. It was like, well, this is what happens. We've always had to deal with it. In his tenure, Craig set out to raise officer pay put an end to the unpopular 12-hour shifts, reinstate community outreach and community policing. He also wanted to bring response times more in line with the national average. He'll tell you it worked. 
and the numbers, they'll bear him out. CBS News produced a special report that found nationwide the homicide clearance rate was just over 50% in 2020. Well, Detroit's clearance rate rose to between 60 and 90%, depending on who you ask. Let me just say, I am extremely proud and grateful for the work of the men and women who I served with on my watch for eight years. Certainly, the Detroit Police Department has and is recognized as one of the premier police departments in our country today. And again, for that, I'm very grateful. Bringing about that change in crime clearance rates and the relationship between cops and the community proved costly. Over the years of the decree, Detroit paid a federal monitor $90,000 nearly every single month, covered by taxpayers, to make sure the police department was making the improvements that were deemed necessary. And there's this. While the consent decree was in effect, and Kwame Kilpatrick was the mayor, the federal monitor who was being paid to bring the department in line, her name was Cheryl Robinson Wood. She had a sexual relationship with the mayor. Let me say that again. The person paid to oversee the police department's reform was sleeping with Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. That relationship was outed in text messages. Oh, that was embarrassing. What a mess. I personally knew Cheryl Robinson. And you've got this overseer and she got in bed with the mayor? Hot dog. That was a quote from former police chief Jerry Oliver in a local news magazine a few years ago. I reached out to Oliver at his current job. He's in another state now, far away from Detroit. He said he didn't want to be interviewed, but he did send this in an email. My time in Detroit as police chief began in early 2002 and mercifully ended in early 2004. It was the worst period of my professional career. A huge misstep in judgment for ever believing I could make a positive difference in a city so dysfunctional and corrupt as Detroit, and certainly a time I have no interest in resurrecting or reliving in 2023. Seven years after Kwame Kilpatrick was forced to resign in disgrace, and two years after he started serving his sentence for a federal racketeering conviction, another cop lost his position after reporting a link between Kilpatrick and a crime that was under investigation. Officer Ira Todd was a highly respected member of Detroit's Violent Crimes Task Force. You might recognize him from Ron Man, a reality show on stars that tries to prove the innocence of people convicted of murder. In the course of investigating a man who was later convicted of being a paid killer, an associate of that man told Detective Todd that he had personal and professional connections to Kwame Kilpatrick. That associate himself, he was under investigation for mortgage fraud involving a large development in Detroit. So Todd told this to his superiors. And like others before him, touching a case with even an unproven thread to Kilpatrick meant Todd got kicked out of a prestigious job. His task force provided car and his cell phone were taken. 
he was ordered to turn over all reports that cited a connection between Kwame and the man who had talked to police. Todd was reassigned to answering the phones. He filed a whistleblower lawsuit that he won in 2015, using the same attorney as Gary Brown, Harold Nelthrope, Al Bowman, and Walt Harris. That lawyer, Mike Stefani, wrote this in a court filing. Defendant Kilpatrick has created an unwritten but very real policy within the Detroit Police Department to the effect that officers who report possible wrongdoing on the part of the mayor, his family, any member of his staff, or the executive protection unit are to be dealt with swiftly and harshly. Here's how Todd's case ties back to Tamara Green's murder. It ties in two ways, actually. After Detective Todd won his whistleblower case, he was reassigned in 2017 to a special homicide task force, and that one took another look at Strawberry's death. Everybody was focused on was there a party? You know, was there a bunch of strippers at the party? Did the mayor's wife beat up, you know, Strawberry at the party? And I have a suspect, mm-hmm. yeah. I've always had a suspect. No charges came from reopening the case. We reached out to Todd many times, but were unable to get an answer about who his suspect was. In Todd's earlier whistleblower case, a fellow member of the Violent Crimes Task Force was deposed. He told lawyers that he had seen two sergeants with Strawberry's file. They were in one of the conference rooms that belonged to the task force. He asked what they were doing. Then he testified under oath that the sergeant told him, we're doing secret squirrel stuff for the commander. Secret squirrel stuff. So what's in the file? In our next episode, old theories and new suspects. Did you guys get into a fight before she died? Because I also heard that. No, not an actual fight, no. No? Did you get into an argument? Yeah. Yeah. About her dancing at a party? Well, something like that. Who Killed Strawberry is a production of WWJ News Radio in Detroit. The podcast is produced by Zat Clark and me, Christy Strasser. Please give us a rating and be sure to subscribe. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Anyone with information on the murder of Tamara Green should call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-SPEAK-UP. All tips are anonymous. All views, statements, and opinions made by people in this podcast are theirs alone. All individuals should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 